Good evening. They tell the story about a rabbi who once came outside of his synagogue to search for a tenth man for the minion. He had only nine people in shul and he needed a tenth to complement the minion. So he's waiting for somebody to pass by. Somebody passes by. The rabbi stops him and says, Excuse me, sir, are you Jewish? Yes, I am. Would you mind to join us, please, in the shul? We're really looking for the tenth. We want to have a minion. We only have nine people. And the man says, Rabbi, no, I will not join you. I'm sorry. Why not, the rabbi asks. And the man says, I don't believe in organized religion. The rabbi says, so what? I also don't believe in organized religion. You, rabbi? You don't believe in organized religion? Absolutely not, the rabbi says. If I would believe in organized religion, do you think I would be standing outside here looking for the tenth person for a minion? Now this anecdote, I think, is a suitable introduction to the figure, the fascinating figure in the Hebrew Bible, in the Chumash, we want to discuss this evening. And this is the figure of Yisro, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, of Moshe Rabbeinu, who was discussed in the portion of Yisro, named after him, Jethro, in the book of Exodus. So the Torah begins the portion of Yisro, how he took his daughter Tzipoira, Moses' wife, together with her two sons, and traveled with them to the desert to meet Moshe and the Jewish people. And the Torah describes, and you can open your curriculums right under the video, you can open the curriculum, you can print it out and look inside. The Torah says in the beginning of Yisroi that he took both of his grandchildren, Sipporah's two sons, Veshnevanah, Asher Shem Ha'echad Gershem Ki Amar Geira Yisi Ba'aretz Nachriya. The name of the one is Gershem, because Moses said, I was a stranger in a strange foreign land. V'shema echad Eliezer, and the name of the one is Eliezer, ki avi be'ezri. His name Eliezer is because the God of my father was helping me. Eliezer means keli azar, my God helped me. Gershem is Gershem, I was a stranger over there. The commentators, always sensitive to nuance, to detail. Focus on what seems like a very small detail, but as we will see, really opens a portal to a much broader discussion about the interesting personality of this man, Yisra Jethro. There seems like, to be a, this seems like there is a grammatical flaw in these two verses. We would expect the Torah to say, Shem Ha'echad Gershom, the name of one child, the first child, was Gershom. V'shem Hasheni Eliezer. The name of the second child was Eliezer. Instead, the terms used are V'shem Ha'echad Gershom. The name of the first child was Gershom. Shem Ha'echad Eliezer. And the name of the first child, the one child, is Eliezer. He was the second child, not the first child. Both are defined as ha'echad, as the first child. What is the meaning in this? There is a strange midrash, midrash Rabbah Parshas Chukas, which you can see inside, 
a midrash extremely enigmatic and difficult to understand. Reb Acha b'shem Reb Chanina Amar. Reb Acha said in the name of Rabbi Chanina. When Moses went up to heaven, he heard the voice of God sitting and learning the portion of the red heifer. In the book of Numbers, in the portion of Chukas, we have the commandment that the Jewish people ought to offer a red heifer, a para aduma, burn it and then mix its ashes with spring water and sprinkle the mixture on the body of a person who has been defiled by contact with a corpse, and this process cleanses the person from spiritual impurity. Moses sees that God is sitting and learning the laws of the red heifer. And Hashem God is repeating a law in the name of the sage who said the law. Rabbi Eliezer Oimer, Egla Bas Upara Bas Rabbi Eliezer says, what is the age of a cow? How do we know that the cow is now no more a calf, an egla in Hebrew, and has graduated to the status of a para? The Torah says you have to use a para aduma, a red cow, not a calf, not a baby cow. But what is the age? So Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer believes the age is two. Till the calf is two years old, she's still a calf. Once... She becomes two, now she is considered a para account. Essentially, it's an argument. The argument is in Mishnayis, in Shraktate Para, in the beginning of the first chapter. The argument is, you can see inside, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer says, Egla basnoso para bashtayim. A calf is one years old, a cow is when she is two years old. Vachachamim, the sages disagree. They say, Egla bashtayim o para basholosh basarba. A calf is two years old, a cow is either three or four. So according to the rabbis, the sages, arguing with Rabbi Eliezer, if you take a red heifer who is only two years old, you use its ashes to sprinkle it on somebody who has been defiled, it's futile, you accomplish nothing because you did not use a cow, you used a calf. According to Rabbi Eliezer, age two is fine. If she's two years old, she is already a calf. Back to the Midrash. Moses is in heaven, he hears God's voice repeating this law of Rabbi Eliezer, that the cow, the red heifer, needs to be two years old in order to be deemed a cow. Omar lefon of Moshe said to God, Master of the universe, May it be your will that this Rabbi Eliezer be one of my descendants. Omar loy. God told Moses, I swear to you that this wish would be granted, this Rabbi Eliezer would be one of your descendants. This is the meaning of the verse in the portion of Yisrael. The name of the one is Eliezer. The name of that special one, of that unique one. That is why it says, Shema Echad Eliezer, the name of the one is Eliezer, although he was the second child of Moses and Zipporah, he was not number one. Number one was Gershom, Eliezer was number two. But Ha'echad in Hebrew means not only the one, but the unique one, the singular one, the special one, the designated one. This special one, Rabbi Eliezer, whom you wished, Moses, that he will be one of your descendants, I swear to you that this wish will be granted, your child is Eliezer. 
At first glance, this Midrash seems extremely difficult to understand. Number one, why was Moses so consumed? What inspired him so much of this opinion of Rabbi Eliezer that the cow could be two years old? According to the sages, it has to be three or four years old. If it's two years old, it's not a cow yet, it's still a calf. According to Rabbi Eliezer, two years old suffices. Why did that inspire? Why did that move Moshe Rabbeinu so deeply for him to say, God, please let that rabbi be one of my descendants. Question number two. How can the rabbis in the Midrash say, this is the meaning in the verse in the Pasuk, V'shem ha'echad Eliezer, the name of the one is Eliezer. This Rabbi Eliezer in the Mishnah and in the Medrash lived a long time later. This Rabbi Eliezer was one of the Tanoim, one of the Talmudic sages who lived at, after the destruction of the Second Temple. Years and years, millennia after Moses. How can we say that the name of Eliezer in the portion of Yisroi, one of the sons of Moses and his wife Tzipira, this is the Rabbi Eliezer of the Mishnah. What's the connection just because they share the same name? In order to understand this, let us explore this evening another Midrash. Also a very difficult Midrash to digest about a central event that occurred between the father-in-law and the son-in-law. Between Jethro and Moses, Yisri and Moshe. This Midrash you have here also in your curriculum, you can look inside, it's from the Mechilta. Mechilta the Rabbi Yishmael. Mechilta is a halachic commentary, a halachic Midrash to the book of Exodus, to the book of Shmois. It's called Mechilta. There is the Mechilta that was taught by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, called Mechilta de Rajbi. There is the Mechilta taught by Rabbi Yishmael, both Talmudic sages after the destruction of the Second Temple. Rabbi Yishmael's Mechilta in the Parsha of Yisrael tells the following story. When Moses told Jethro, please allow me to marry your daughter Tzipporah, Yisrael told him, accept one thing that I am asking of you, and then I will give my daughter to you as a wife. Omar loy mahu. Moshe asked Yisrael, what is this thing you're asking of me? Omar loy Yisrael told him, Ben Mikan The first child your wife will give birth to, I want that this child should be dedicated to Avodah to idolatry. From this, from this child and further and on, the children can be dedicated to heaven. Vikibelalov. Moshe accepted this stipulation. Omarlahi Shavali. Yisrael told him, Swear to me. Vayishavalai. And Moshe swore to him, he took an oath. Shenemar, as the Pasik says in the Parashmois, Vayoyal Moshe. Ain Allah Shvua. It says Vayoyal Moshe. Vayoyal from the word Allah, which means an oath. Moshe gave an oath to his father-in-law. What was the oath? The oath we now know, according to the Mechilta, was that the first child born to the couple will be dedicated to Avodah to idolatry. And therefore the Mechilta explains there is the story in Shmois where an angel wanted to kill Moshe. 
because he did not circumcise his child. Why did he did not circumcise his oldest child, Gershom? He could not circumcise him because circumcision belonged to the Abrahamic tradition of monotheism. But since he accepted that the first child would be dedicated for idolatry for Avodah he had no authority to circumcise, to give this child a bris, and therefore, according to this midrash, the first child, Gershom, was never circumcised, and thus the events in Parshish Shemais, where an angel wanted to kill Moses, and Zipporah saved the day or the night by circumcising her child. This is an astonishing tradition. How is it possible to understand that from all people, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, the first leader and redeemer of Israel, the one who would give the Jewish people in the world the Torah, the divine blueprint for life. He would agree to dedicate his first child to Avodah to idolatry, which was not only a mitzvah given later to the Jewish people at Sinai. It is one of the seven Noahide laws, one of the mitzvahs given to Noah and his children, something that every person is obligated in, Jew and non-Jew, and yet here Moses agrees to dedicate his child to idolatry. Astounding. And for what? It wasn't like Yisrael was threatening to kill him. It was for marriage. He said, you want my daughter? This is the condition. We would expect that a person like Moshe Rabbeinu would say, if this is the condition, I'm sorry, I can't fulfill the stipulation. I'll go find, I'll look for another Barshert. I'll search for another soulmate. The question really is even stronger. Yisrael himself, we find in Midrashic tradition, sacrificed himself to disengage himself from the pagan world of idolatry. In fact, there is a tradition that his daughters were being oppressed and Moshe came to save them, as the Torah says in Parashat Shemais. Why were they being harassed? Because their father was excommunicated because he was a pagan priest and he abandoned idolatry for monotheism. And yet he himself makes this condition with his future son-in-law. Even if you want to say that according to the Mechilta, at this stage in the game, Yisroi was still a pagan student of idolatry, nonetheless, how is it that Moshe Rabbeinu would accept the stipulation? Precisely the person who would give the Jews the Torah and would warn them again and again, admonish them, caution them, teach them, guide them. And one of his greatest guidances throughout the whole Torah is do not engage in idolatry. Remember there is one God, a transcendental God, a moral God. Moshe Rabbeinu tells this to the Jews again and again in the book of Dvarim of Deuteronomy. It's this person that when it comes to his own personal life, his own personal family, he agrees. To give away his first son to idolatry. Why? Because he wants Tzipira. Many of the commentators throughout the generations, throughout the long history of Jewish literature and Jewish tradition, discuss this Mechilta, this Midrash, attempting to make sense of it attempting to explain to us how such a thing could happen. How are we to digest this story, this tradition? This evening, we will discuss one possible approach and one possible perspective. And let me just say at the onset, the discussion certainly will not be completed and round at the end of our class this evening. This you should see as a beginning, as an entrance 
into a particular uh, mindset, into a particular thought process, and then we can all further elaborate, develop, and uh, continue the conversation. Let us for a moment shift to another book in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Shoftim, the book of Judges. There we have a story in chapters 17 and 18, the story known in Jewish literacy as Pesel Micha, the statue of Micha. Very briefly, there was a man, Micha, who by instruction of his mother, took an enormous amount of silver and it was molded into a statue, a pestle. This man, Micha, who lived in the mountain of Ephraim, not far from Jerusalem, hired a Levite, a Levi, to serve as a minister, as a priest to this statue. People would come... They would say prayers, they would offer sacrifices, they would engage in meditation. And this Levite was the person responsible for it. He was the priest, he was the minister. And Micha, in whose home this statue stood, supported this Levi. At some point in the story, there are Jews from the tribe of Dun, who are searching for a new plot in the land of Israel. They need a place to live. And they end up staying in Micha's home, and they meet this Levite. This young man, or this, this person, this Levite, who is ministering, who is a priest for this statue of Micha. And as you see here in the curriculum, we have the verses from Judges 18, Shoftim Yudchas. They recognize, They recognize the voice of this Levite lad. They know his voice. And they come there. They come to the home. They ask him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this home? What do you have here? Three questions. Who brought you here? What are you doing here? And what do you have here? Seems redundant. They're saying the same, thief, same thing three times. He tells them, He tells them the whole story. Micha hired me, he rented me, he supports me. I am a Koyin, I work for him. They ask this young man, this lad, this Levite lad, to find out from God whether they should go and conquer a piece of land so they, they are to settle it. And he tells them to go forth. They are successful. They come back, they steal the statue of Micha. And they take this young lad, this Levite, with them to their new territory. They erect Micha's statue in their new territory and they hire him once again to be the minister, the Kohen, the priest near this statue. And at the conclusion of the story, we suddenly discover who is this person. Who is this Levite whose voice they recognized? There was something unique about him. In verse 30, Pasuk Lamet, you could see it inside. The children of Don erected the statue. Yehoinasson, the son of Gershon, the son of Menashe, he and his children served as priests for the tribe of Don until the day they were exiled from the land 
referring, according to most commentators, to the time when the Sancheriv, the Assyrian emperor, came and exiled the ten tribes from the land of Israel, their location unknown until today. Within 150 years, they disappeared from the arena of the Jewish world. So who is this Levite? Yohanesan, the son of Gershon, the son of Menashe. Now the Nun in the word Menashe is suspended above the other letters. It's in small and it's a Nun Taluya, which means it's a Nun that hangs above. It's not right there in the middle of the word. So you can read the word without the Nun. You can read the word Moshe, not Menashe. So the Talmud, the Gemara, in Tractate Baba Basra, page 109b. You could see inside, the Gemara says, Was he the son of Menashe? Gershom was the son of Moshe of Moses. But rather because this boy, this Yonason, followed in the ways of Menashe, who was a king in Judea, who served idolatry, so the Torah compares, the Torah connects him to Menashe, not to Moshe, protecting the honor of Moshe, and instead using the word Menashe, since he was a child of Menashe, not biologically, but so to speak, ideologically, although he lived before Menashe. So suddenly, Gershom, the son of Moshe, the son he dedicated to idolatry in the Mechilta reappears in the book of Judges. In a fascinating event, he becomes a priest ministering for this statue of Micah of Micha. Who is he? He's Yonason, the son of Gershom, the son of Moshe. Moshe's grandson, his son's son, is a priest for a statue of Micha. And that's why the Nun is suspended. The Torah wants to protect the honor of Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore it doesn't say clearly Moshe, it says Menashe. But that Nun in the middle of the word is suspended, it hangs above in small. And now the Gemara continues explaining the three questions the members of the tribe of Don asked this youngster, Yonason. They came there, they told him, Who brought you here? What are you doing here? What do you have here? The Talmud says, This is what they told him. Isn't it true that you're a descendant of Moshe, whom God said, Don't come close here to the burning bush? Halayim, halayim. Here they tell him, halayim. Who brought you here? God told Moses, don't approach halayim here. Their question according to the Talmud is, who brought you here? Aren't you a student? Aren't you a descendant of Moshe Who heard the words, Al-Tikrav halayim. Don't come here. And yet you're here. Lav mi Moshe kaases diksiv beimaza beyotcha. Aren't you a descendant of Moses whom God told in Parashat Shemais, what is this in your hand? It was a stick. It becomes a serpent. And this is what they mean when they tell him, Ma what are you doing here? Lav mi Aren't you a grandchild of Moses to whom God said, you stand here with me? 
You should become a priest for idolatry. An enical. Your Zayda was Moshe Rabbeinu. You're his grandson. You're becoming a priest. This is what they told him. This is why they recognized his voice, some commentators say. He was the grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu. This is why Micha was so excited to have this Levite. He says in the story, I have this Levite. I'm sure God is happy with the statue. This wasn't just a regular Levite. This is Moshe Rabbeinu's grandson. And the children of Don were so excited with him. Omar Laheni responded to them. This is what I have learned from the house of my grandfather, my father's father. A person should rent himself out to work for an idol, but he should not need other people. In other words, if this is the only source of income, let him even rent his service, let him rent himself out to work for an idol, an idol but he should not need people for money to support him. This is what I learned from my grandfather, from my father's father. And the Gemara says, He understood what did his grandfather mean, you should rent yourself out for real idolatry. That's not true. What he meant was rent yourself out to na'avaydezara, which means work which is alien to you. Avaydezara literally means work which is alien. We use it usually in the context of idolatry. But what he meant was work that is alien for you. As Rav told Rabbi Kahana, If you have no other choice, then flay carcasses in the marketplace to make a living. And don't say, I'm a distinguished person, it's too cheap for me. In other words, it is very valuable to earn your own living and not rely on other people to support you, even if that means that you will be doing, engaging in labor which is unbefitting for your esteemed and prestigious character. Rent yourself out for work which is alien to your esteemed identity, as long as you don't need other people to support you. This is what he heard from his grandfather. He thought that the message is, rent yourself out for avodah for idolatry. And then the Talmud concludes the story, when David saw that this person really likes money, he needs money, he hired him to be his treasurer, and that's why it says in the book of Chronicles, Ushvuel ben Gershem ben Menashe noged ala oitzras. Shavuel, the son of Gershem, the son of Menashe, was in charge on the treasury of David. Was his name Shvuel? His name was Yoinesen. Shvuel is two words. Shav lakel. He returned to God with all of his heart. This child, Yoinesen, the grandson of Moses, came back. He repented. This is the story in the Talmud. It opens up for us a whole new portal into the personality of Gershom, his son Yoinesen. First of all, let's understand. What does it mean that I heard from my father's father? I have a tradition from the home of my father's father. Moshe Rabbeinu, where did Moshe Rabbeinu say such a thing? Where did Moshe Rabbeinu ever say you should rent yourself out for avoid the Zorah? And the main thing is not to rely on others for your income. Second, why would Moshe use the word Avoy Zorah 
which can then be misconstrued by his grandson. Why couldn't he use another term? There was a fascinating Kabbalistic work known as Asora Mamores, authored by Rabbi Menachem Azaria of Fanu from Italy. And there he gives us the following explanation. The Asura Mamoris ties, he's the one who makes the link between the Mechilta we discussed earlier and the Talmud in Shraktate Baba Basra. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu took an oath to his father-in-law that he would give his first son to Avodah Zarah. What he meant was not that he would dedicate his first son to literally idolatry. That Moshe would never do, and Yisrael never asked him for that. What, it, what he meant was, he's dedicating his child to to engage in labor which may be strange and alien to him. In other words, Moshe made a condition. I will support my wife, I will support my family under all circumstances. Even if that means that the first child has to work and engage in labor that is unbefitting for him. I will make sure that we earn an income to be able to support the family. This is what Yisrael wanted. Yisrael wanted that Moshe should be ready for himself and for his first child to engage in labor which may be unsuitable for them, but that his daughter Tzipoira should be provided for financially. Yoinesen, the grandson didn't understand. He thought what Yisrael meant was, Literally, you have to support yourself under all circumstances, even if that means working for an idol. He didn't understand that what Yisra and Moshe meant was, engaging in labor that's maybe below your dignity, standing in the marketplace and stripping carcasses, as the Talmud brings an example, is not something that is befitting for you. Do that anyway. He thought it means, rent yourself out to work for an idol. And from this, the story evolves that he actually becomes a priest for an idol. Yet this also begs for more clarification, for more understanding. How can the grandchild make such a dramatic and drastic mistake? I mean, this is not just a little error. This is a major error. His grandfather is talking about engaging in labor that may be alien to your character and your pattern and your upbringing and your aristocratic demeanor. And he understands it as working for pagan idolatry. How do you get from one place to another place just because you're using the word Avaidizara? One of the possible explanations in this, based on what's discussed in various works, requests, demands of us to go a little deeper into who Yisroi was, into who Jethro was. In Parshas Yisroi, Yisroi tells his son-in-law and the Jewish people, he says, Atta yadaiti, now I know, as you can see inside, Ki Hashem that God is greater than all the other gods. So the rabbis say, and Rashi bring it, brings it, this teaches us that there was not one pagan religion, philosophy, ideology, which Jethro did not study and experiment with. He experimented with every pagan tradition and religion and idolatry. And therefore he was qualified to
to make the statement, I know that God is greater than all the gods. How do you know all the gods? Yisroi said, I know. This means that Yisroi had a perspective on Judaism that was unique. It was a perspective gained by studying, by familiarizing himself, by worshipping and by experimenting with all spiritual traditions that existed in the time, with all religions, with all philosophies that existed in the time, as primitive as they were. Yisrael studied them and experimented them. And only because he knew all of them, and he tried them all out, can he then come and say, now I discovered, there's a truth in the God of Israel. There's a truth in monotheism. There's a truth in Hashem that resonates greater than all the other gods. This is what Yisrael wanted to give his grandson Gershom. Of course he did not demand from his son-in-law to dedicate his first son to idolatry. Yisrael did not mean it, nor would have Moshe accepted such a condition under any costs. What he wanted was that Gershom should follow his curriculum. He should study the various religions and traditions. He should experiment with them. He should truly understand them. And then he will be able to say, just like his grandfather, Yisrael was a person who came to the truth through trial and error, through experimentation. He was a searcher. He was a seeker. He got lost. He went astray. He tried out so many other alternatives first. He tried out all the religions in the world until he concluded that they did not capture the truth of existence. From them he came to discover the truth of Yiddishkeit. So his philosophy was, I found the truth through my own search, my own trial, my own error. I feel this is the best way to raise children. I feel the best thing for children is to see it for themselves, to make their own mistakes, and then to come to the proper conclusion on their own. This is Yisrael's philosophy in education. You see, the argument between him and Moses is not just an ancient argument that existed then. It is a very contemporary argument. Yisroi believes the best way of raising children is expose them to what I have been exposed. I now know the truth through my own experience, through my own mistakes. Let Gershom have that experience too. Let's understand what Yisroi is saying. There is a Pasuk in Parshas B'Shalach. In the book of Exodus, in the song, after they crossed the Red Sea. This is my God and I will beautify him, the God of my father and I will exalt him. The Shalah, Rabbi Yeshaya Horowitz, Rabbi Isaiah Horowitz, in his monumental work, Shnei Luchay Sabris, explains this Pasuk in a very original fashion. You could see inside. He explains there are two types of relationships a person can have with God. There is Zekeli, my God, and there is Elikeavi, the God of my father. The God of my father means, how do I know about God? Because my father, my mother, my grandparents told me about God. Zekeli, this is my God, is the God that I discovered through my own search and my own life's experiences. Zekeli, when I can point to God and say, you're my God. 
You're my own individualistic God. Then va'anveyu. Anveyu is a combination of two words. Ani, I, vuhu, and he. Together in one word. When God is my God, then him and I are integrated. We become seamlessly one. Because this personal awareness is internalized in my heart. But when I don't have an experience of God for myself, it is only the tradition. God is the God of my Father. I trust my Father. Then, if He's the God of my Father, I will exalt Him. He remains above me. I am distant from Him in the intimacy of my heart. This is what Yisrael wanted. He wanted that his grandson Gershom should learn what he learned. And then he on his own would discover the truth of Yiddishkeit. The truth of Torah. The truth of monotheism. Not only relying on the faith of his father. But also on his own understanding and experience. If not, Yisrael says, he will never internalize his faith. God will always remain a Lekei Avi, the God of my father. God will always be God because he's my father's God. He's not my God. I want your son to experience Kalelikim, all the gods. And then he'll be able to say and declare, Godol Hashem, Kalelikim. Then he will be able to say, Zekeli, this is my God. Moshe did not agree. Moses, our teacher, disagreed with Yisroi. Why? There are many reasons. Let's state two possible reasons. Number one, Moshe Rabbeinu said, It sounds very beautiful and romantic, Yisroi. But you are you and some children, if I, we expose them to everything you have been exposed, they may get lost. They may stumble on the road. They may never find their way back. Remember Yisroi, not everybody is an intellectual par excellence. Not everybody is absolutely objective in life. People are subjective. They have cravings, they have habits, they have instincts. They have an urge for gratification that is not always moral and ethical. And not everybody always has that intellectual openness and honesty to challenge themselves with pure truth, even if that equals pain. If you allow every child to be exposed to experiment, everything you have experimented, he or she may become lost, and not only will they not find their way back, and their open-mindedness will not elicit from them a greater depth in life, but on the contrary, they may become completely fragmented, and broken in the process, remain confused and uncertain for the remainder of their life. But Moshe Rabbeinu says something else. Yisroi, my dear Yisroi, it's true, this is your life story, this is your journey. And your journey caused you to reach great heights. Yisroi means advantage, superiority. You remember the verse in Ecclesiastes in Kehelas, There is the light that's generated from the darkness. This was personified by the person Yisroi. Yisroi was a person who struggled his whole life. He was confused. He experimented with everything. And from that, from the darkness, from the confusion, from the dilemmas, he came to appreciate the message of Torah the truth of Yiddishkeit in a new way, in a new fashion. But is this what I am supposed to give to my child, Moshe says to Yisrael? A Jewish child, parents ought to give the taste and the beauty of Torah, 
the depth of Torah, a loft of Torah, Yerushamayim, a fear of heaven, moral integrity, moral ethics and values, a love of God, a love of Torah, a love of humanity, a love of Israel. Why do I need my son to experiment and become entangled with pagan idolatry? Let me give him God. Let me give him the God of Havaya. Let me give him godliness. Ah, you're telling me you want that my son should not just be following my tradition. It should become his own. That you have a good point, Moshe says. That's why you have to make sure that you teach your child Torah. Not only in a way that he feels it's imposed upon him because this is his father's tradition, his grandfather's tradition. It's the God of his father. You must allow your child to feel Zekeli. This is my God. How? By challenging and helping your child, your student and disciple to discover the God within him. Zekeli, this is my God. To help him discover his soul, his relationship with Hashem, his internal spirituality, his internal truth and purity and idealism, his spark. No Yisra Moshe Rabbeinu says, it's not because I'm scared of the world. It's not because I feel insecure with my faith. It's not because I'm threatened by pagan traditions that I do not want my child to learn and experiment with everything you experimented. It's not that I feel that the moment he will open his eyes and be exposed, he will immediately reject everything that he learned in his home, everything that he learned in the yeshiva, and he will throw it, he will throw it away. That's not the issue. In Moshe Rabbeinu's world, Torah is not afraid from the world. His argument with his father-in-law is not coming from insecurity. It's not coming from a complex. From the perspective of Torah, the whole world is a continuum of Torah. There are no two entities, the universe of Torah and then the universe outside of Torah. The world is the divine world. The world is a blueprint. The Torah is a blueprint by which God created the world. In other words, the world essentially is a continuum of Torah. It's a reflection of Torah. A real Judaism is never based on insecurity. The Jew never ought to fear the world or be threatened by the world because the world in its true sense is essentially an arena a place where the truths of Torah not only could be implemented, but really reflective of Torah because it was built based on the blueprint of Torah. Knowing that the Torah is the truth of the human being and the truth of the world, why must I have my son entangled with the experimentation of idolatry? It reminds me of the story. It's a story... about the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, the author of the Tanya. He had a son, Rabbi Doiv Ber, who would succeed him later as the second Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe. And when he was a child, his father, the Alter Rebbe, called in a young man and said, Listen, you have a mitzvah and I have a mitzvah. You have a mitzvah to support your wife and children. I have a mitzvah to educate my child. Let us exchange mitzvahs. I will fulfill your mitzvah. I will support your wife and children. And you educate my child. The man agreed and he left. When he came home, he realized he was a clever guy. He realized that he still has something to ask. He comes back to the Rebbe and he says, Rebbe, there is something unfair. 
You tell me you're going to fulfill my mitzvah, you're going to support my wife and children instead of me, you'll pay a salary to me. That I understand, it's very clear, and it's very clear to you what you have to do. You have to give them money. But you ask of me to fulfill your mitzvah to educate your child. This is a very unclear stipulation. How do I educate your child? What do I teach him? How do I teach him? The Alter Rebbe responded to him and said, we begin educating a Jewish child by teaching him or her the Aleph base, the Hebrew alphabet. The first letter is Aleph. Vos is an Aleph. What is an Aleph? Imagine that letter Aleph, or you can look at the letter Aleph. What is an Aleph? The Alter Rebbe used to speak with a special melody. So he answered the question, what is an Aleph, with his melody. Apin telefon ibn. Apin telefon unten. Das is an Aleph. A point on the top. A point on the bottom. A line on top, a line on, to- on the bottom. That is an Aleph. Ayud von ibn. Ayud von unten. Akav von Yerushamayim be'emtza. Das is an Aleph. What it represents is, there is a little Yud on the top. This represents God. There is a little Yud on the bottom. It represents the soul, the human soul, which comes down below. And then there is the line in the middle, which connects the two. And that's the line, the link of Yerushamayim. Awe of heaven, fear of God. This is an Aleph. This, Dalte Rebbe says, this is what I want you to teach my child. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of what a Jew, a human being, a child has to know in order for them to fulfill their life's goal. There's a point above. There's a point below. And our challenge in life is to link the two points. That's what a Jewish child has to know. This was the debate between Yisrael and Moshe. Yisrael had one perspective on education. Moshe had another perspective on education. Moshe says, I don't feel I must send my child in your path. For you, it was great. It was awesome. There's something you contribute to our people that nobody can contribute. There's something you bring to the table, a richness an appreciation that only you have. Let's take it and give a psychological example. There are people who go through psychological turmoil throughout their life. They experiment with many different alternatives, with many different relationships. They stumble and they fall. They often end up in the abyss and then from the abyss, from hitting rock bottom, they come to discover certain truths about life. And that those discoveries are very deep. Does this mean that every person ought to be subjected to such turmoil and anguish? No. Yisroi, I will respect you like nobody else for what you bring to the table. The Torah could not be given according to the Zoyar till Yisroi came to the Jewish people and said, I know, because his knowledge is unique. But that is somebody who doesn't know, somebody who's searching, somebody who's lost. But you want me to take my son and instead of giving him a lakus, giving him godliness, giving him Torah, giving him mitzvahs, 
giving him the most precious gems of life of his own soul and making it his. I should subject him to your trial and error path. I disagree. Not because I'm insecure. Not because I'm scared of the world. Not because I think that if he's going to be exposed, the Torah will lose its validity and legitimacy. That's not the real perspective of Torah. Real Torah is one with the world. The world is a reflection of Torah. The world is God's world. The world is created by the Torah. Torah is a blueprint for the world. It's because the Torah is authentic. It's meaningful. Why do I have to send my child to Yisra's school and have him follow Yisra's curriculum? Yisra disagreed and Moshe consented. The first child is going to follow Yisra's curriculum. Now we will understand that little seemingly irrelevant detail. Shema Echad Gershem Shema Echad Eliezer. The name of the first son is Gershem. The name of the first son is Eliezer. They were both first children. Gershem was the first child biologically. Eliezer was also the first child because he was the first child who would be educated according to Moshe Rabbeinu's approach. According to this, we can come to understand that medrash about the red heifer. One of the differences, one of the ramifications between these two approaches is how do you try to teach Judaism to your child? From Yisra's perspective, you always try to understand everything so that you should be able to identify with it and find yourself there. Even if it's a super rational mitzvah, as much as possible you try to bring it down and make sense out of it. According to Moshe Rabbeinu's perspective, it's the other way around. The Jew has a geschmack. The Jew has a feeling to fulfill all the mitzvahs because they are God's will. If he understands the mitzvah, that's great. If the mitzvah lends itself to be comprehended intellectually, that's awesome. But the essence of the experience of the mitzvah is a relationship with God that transcends the human intellect and the human ego. It is based on the pure relationship between the soul and God. And therefore, he is not looking to justify it, to rationalize it. He's not apologetic about it. He has a sense, he has a geschmack in the pure godliness of a mitzvah. If I understand it, great. But real godliness, pure godliness, you can't always understand. Yisra, in other words, searches to find the rationale, the justification. Moshe is looking for the godliness of the mitzvah. Not because he is fearful of intellect. Moshe was the intellectual of history. Not because he's insecure of using his rationale, but because he comes to appreciate that the relationship between the Jew and God doesn't only operate on an intellectual level. It operates also on an intellectual level. But there's a place to where the intellect takes you, and then there's a door which you can pass not through intellect, but only with your soul. The door of faith through which the soul actually experiences the living presence of God. When it comes to the law of the red heifer, para aduma, it's defined as the chayk. It's defined as a super rational mitzvah. 
But there is a rationale that's given by the rabbis. And it's brought in Rashi and Parshas Chukas. Why are the Jews commanded to take a red heifer, slaughter it, mix its ashes with water, cleanse people from defilement through it? And one of the answers given there is, The Jewish people created a golden calf. It was the first idol in Jewish history after they became a nation. Let the mother come and clean up the fertilizer generated by her child. They created a golden calf. So to atone, to cleanse for the dirt created by the calf, the mother, the cow, the mother of the calf, comes and cleans up the mess. Your child makes a mess. We say, Ma, let the mother, let the father come and clean up the mess. Let the mother, let the cow clean up the mess created by the calf. Now, how old does a cow have to be in order to give birth? Three years old. So according to the sages, that a cow, a paradum, has to be three or four years old, then the rationale makes sense. Let the mother cow come and clean up the mess of her child, the calf, because the cow is three years old, she can have a child already, she's a mother. But according to Rabbi Eliezer, who says that a cow, a paradum, is two years old, when a cow is two, she can't give birth. So if she can't give birth, there's no explanation that the mother is cleaning up the mess of her child. So when Moshe Rabbeinu hears God repeating the halacha of Rabbi Eliezer that a cow is two years old, Moshe says, let it be your will, that this Rabbi Eliezer should be one of my descendants. What Moshe Rabbeinu is saying is, I, want, I pray that my descendants should follow the path of Eliezer, should follow the path of Rabbi Eliezer. My prayer is that my descendants should have an appreciation a geschmack and the godliness of a mitzvah. They shouldn't desperately try to feel the need to be apologetic, to always justify it, to always make sense out of it, to always make sure that they have to experiment with everything else to make sure that this is true. They should be able to experience doses on Aleph, not because they're insecure, and not in a way of dogma being imposed by Zekeli by the father. It should become by Avi by the father. It should be Zekeli. It should become their personal God. It should be their understanding, their experience. But what they should have is the point of view of Rabbi Eliezer who appreciates the relationship between a Jew and God, not only in terms of finding my, but also celebrating an absolute commitment that often transcends the ego and transcends the intellect, the relationship between the soul and God, between the Yud above and the Yud below. Where Yisrael emphasized much more of a different angle, go through different patterns and different methods, and then come to appreciate it from your own trial and error, from your own previous experiences. And Hashem promises Moshe, yes, this will be your descendant. And that's why it says, Shem Ha'echad Eliezer. This was Eliezer. Who's Eliezer? Elekei Avi Be'ezri. The God of my father is helping me. There is Zekeli, my God, which Yisrael accentuates the God that I come to through my personal experience. There's Elikei Avi, there's the God I come to from my father, because my father taught me about God. That is Eliezer. And yet my challenge is to take Elikei Avi and make that into Zekeli, into my own God, 
by discovering my own individual relationship, my own soul's relationship with God. According to this, we'll be able to understand the Talmud and Baba Basra. There is a service of God, which is serving God, but it's alien to Moshe. Eretz Nachri, it's alien, represented by Gershom. Yisrael wanted that Moshe should educate Gershom with the curriculum of Yisrael, his way of serving God. But for Moshe, this is alien. It's a path. It's just not his path. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, sometimes a person needs it. If this is your source of income, if this is how you're going to support yourself, whether it's financially or this is your particular source of spiritual income in the world, then this is your path, the path of Yisrael. Rent yourself out for for an alien service to go into the world and to study the various disciplines and various patterns and from there come to a deeper appreciation of the unity of Hashem. That's the avoid the work, the perspective of Yisrael. Avoid the Shehizoraloi. And Moshe agreed, Gershom will follow this path. Is it Moshe's own path? No. Is it Eliezer's path? No. It's Yisrael's path and it became Gershom's path. And Moshe's fear actually played itself out. He was scared that Gershom will become confused in the process. He became confused in the process. And his son, Yonason, became a priest for idolatry. Moshe's fear, which he told Yisrael, or he explained, or he intimated to Yisrael, the child may not come back, the child may be confused. The child became confused. And yet, at the end, he's called Shvuel. He did do Tshuva, he did return to God. Just like his great-grandfather Yisrael, he also returned to God. And he returned to God with his whole heart and with his whole soul. And not only that, one can perhaps add something even deeper. The Rashbam, the commentator on Baba Basra, Daf Kufyud, brings from the Jerusalem Talmud, from Talmud Yerushalmi, that even while he was a priest at the statue of Micha, he did not believe in the idol. In fact, when people would come with a big sheep or goat to, or animal to sacrifice, he would say, you're sacrificing it to this statue. The statue doesn't eat, doesn't drink, can't help you, can't do you any favors. So they told him, what should we do? He said, don't waste your money. Go back, bring, bring back flour. We'll sacrifice flour. The next day they would come with flour, they would bring it to the statue, and then they would leave and he himself would eat it. And the Talmud credits him with that. That actually he helped people leave the idol. The idol. He helped people disengage himself from idolatry. We have to understand that in those days, pagan idolatry was the norm. It was the prevailing culture in most societies. And this Jew, Yonason, the grandson of Moshe, helped them disengage themselves from it. Which means, Yisrael experiments and then discovers the truth of Judaism. Gershom is educated in the same way. His son, Yonason, feels perhaps that his role is not only to study idolatry, to examine it, to visit it, but actually to become a silent ambassador for Judaism in the idol world, in the world of idolatry. He is a spy who is working for the statue, and yet, undercover, he's distancing 
people from it. And this is the story of Gershom and his son Yonason reflected in the philosophy and unique life story of Yisrael who caused his son-in-law to take upon himself this oath. This thus, my dear friends, remains our challenge. A question we have to ask ourselves. How do we educate our students, our pupils, ourselves, and our children in a fashion that is not only avi, giving them the God of their fathers or their grandfathers or their great-great-grandfathers, but zekeli, giving them their own God. A child, a young man, a young woman should be able to feel that this is my God. It is my experience. Not only because they were confused, and lost, but rather because they are given the tools and resources, the courage and dignity, the wisdom and the inspiration to be able to experience within themselves, in the words of the Alter Rebbe, Apin telefon oibin, Apin telefon unten, Das is an Aleph, Good night. Hey